Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. <clears throat> but there will be no gloom for, who, for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff, of his, uh, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Um, <clears throat> this spring will mark uh, four years since we adopted our youngest daughter, Maddie. Um, we adopted Maddie. Um, we, we flew all the way to China to pick up our little girl. I think we have a picture of her, that was, uh, I mean, that was like day two or three uh, with us in the hotel in, in Guangzhou. Um, she, she used to make that face all the time. We called it her mean mugging face. Um, yeah, just so, so adorable. Our, our picture, or our picture, our house is filled with, with pictures um, uh, of all of our kids, certainly. Um, we look at a lot of pictures with Maddie. Um, in particular, uh, um, my phone is, uh, I mean, I, I probably had maybe two or three phones since we went to China, but my phone has a ton of pictures from our time in China. Uh, our iPad um, has every picture I took in China, well over 500, and, and, and she, she scrolls through them and she looks at the videos. Uh, Lindsay uh, had this this book uh, printed with uh, with pictures of, of of Maddie's like first year with us, and and she'll regularly she knows where it is on the shelf. She'll go and and she'll get it, um, and she'll want to look at it with people. And 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 if it's someone who hasn't seen the book yet, she'll point out what's going on in these pictures because we've talked a ton about all of these pictures. Um, I I often lay in bed with her as she's getting ready for bed and. And we'll just talk about whatever's on her mind, and you never know with a four-year-old what that might be. But a lot of times, it's it's uh, it has to do with with being adopted. It has to do with with China. Um, uh, I'll tell her about the day that that we picked her up. Um, and we have a picture of of that. We uh, picture up. I don't know if you can see it, but, but her eyes are they're glassed over. Um, I, I can't remember if she was just about to cry or if she had finally finished crying at this point. But I'll. I'll tell her that she was scared, that, that the two women that she had known from the orphanage handed her to mom, and, and she didn't know us. And here's this guy taking tons of pictures and crying all the time, um, staring at her, and, and, and she, she was terrified. 
And I'll tell her about that night, how we uh, went back to our hotel and we were all pretty exhausted. And um, uh, while I loved the food in China, sometimes it was comforting to have something that tasted like it was uh, from the state. So we found out that Papa John's delivered to our hotel. So, so we got, we got a, a pizza with anything and everything on it. And, and I, I tell her how, how she, she loved it. She loved the sausage and the veggies that I fed her that night from that pizza. Uh, I tell her about um, flying home and, and how God provided uh, on the longest leg of our flight. There, was, uh, there were two empty seats next to us. It was so beautiful. It was so great. And she slept like 80% of the flight. It was amazing. It was the thing I was maybe most worried about. I tell her about coming into to PDX and, and seeing um, the rest of our family and, and our kids literally jumping up and down because they were so excited to see her. And, um, and all of this stuff is, is really, it's happy. I mean, even, even this picture here, um, it's not that hard for her to, to deal with. She doesn't get sad when I tell her about that. We can go to the next picture too, I forgot. I tell her about Lynn's wearing uh, Maddie in a front pack like everywhere all over China just, just so that they could bond um, and how Maddie at first would like try and push away, but eventually she would want to nuzzle in close. So all of this with Maddie right now is, um, it's easy to talk about. It's fun to talk about. She, she loves talking about um, our adventures with her in China. Um, but someday it's going to get hard. Like someday she's going to ask some questions that are going to be hard. And I don't know exactly how it's going to go down. Um, but she's going to ask, like, why do I need to be adopted? You know, and, and a couple months ago, actually, she, she asked me. I wasn't even ready for this. I just didn't think it would happen yet. She, she, asked, she asked what happened to the mom that had, uh, that had Maddie in her tummy. Um, and, and I don't even remember what I said. I mean, I said something like, well, she really wanted to make sure that you were safe. And, and she worked really hard to make sure that, that you get people that love you. But it's going to get harder. It's going to get a lot harder. She's, she's, she's going to want to know why. And, and we're going we're gonna to walk through some really painful things with her. And I don't know if, I don't know if it's going to be lifelong. I don't know. Um, the story of Scripture tells us that, that God has adopted, that, that, that if you know Jesus, if you've, if you've placed your faith in him, that God has adopted you, that, that not only have you been saved from sin, but God's adopted you into his family, that, that you are, you're, you're full on, you're a legitimate child of God's. But we have to ask the question, well, why did I need to be adopted? And that's where our, our story um, gets hard. Like Christmas is coming up and Christmas is exciting. Christmas is fun. It is great news that, that Jesus came into the world, that he was born so that he could live, so that he could die for us, so he could rise from the dead, defeating death. That is great news. There's a hard reality that's the reason that Jesus had to come. And our passage today, maybe you caught it at the beginning there. Verse 1 said, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. And then verse 2, 
Those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And it's, it's talking that, that this, this gloom will, will change, right? That, that, that the darkness, those who walked in darkness, light will be shown on them. There's a reality that the human state without God, it is darkness, it is gloom, it is anguish. And, and we can be tempted to just blitz straight to this picture of Jesus being born, but I think we miss out on why he had to come. The, the darkness actually, our, our, our state of just being dead in our sin, it helps us to really celebrate what we have in Christ. Knowing why he came helps us to celebrate Jesus with great joy. So I want to talk a little bit about the darkness, the gloom, the, the anguish. And it's not, I think it's easy for us to, to read darkness, gloom, and we, maybe we think about like the lowest point in our life. Or maybe, maybe you've really been depressed before, like diagnosed with depression. This is not that. This is worse than that. This is our spiritual deadness that, that, uh, that we're talking about here, right? This isn't something that a therapy can help. Only Jesus could save us from this. We go back just to verse 22 in chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, it won't be on the screen. It says, and, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. I spent quite a bit of time this week uh, reading in, in Jeremiah, um, particularly chapter 7, 8, and 9. I, I, just, I want you to just listen to, to some of uh, the descriptions here. It's from chapter 7. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Later, God says, but this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God. You shall be my people. You will walk uh, you, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward, not forward. And then he says, I persistently sent my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their necks. They did worse than their fathers. And it just goes on and on. Jeremiah describes uh, our rebellion against God, all the ways that, that we choose evil over God. And, and after one of these lists, he, he says this in, in chapter 8, verse 12. He says, were they ashamed when they committed uh, abomination? No, they weren't ashamed at all. They did not know how to blush. He goes on and on. He describes that the, the, the city, that God's people, they were the city with life. Right? It was vibrant and it will become desolate. It says that the, the, it'll become a wilderness. Um, years ago, I saw uh, uh, some photographer went, uh, went around the globe and took pictures of old uh, Olympic venues that have been abandoned for decades and decades. I don't know if you've ever seen any of these pictures, but, but it's, it, it looks, I mean, it almost looks apocalyptic, like, like the earth is taking it back over. And, and that's, Kind of the description here that, that God's people, they, they were this, they're like this city, and yet they will become this, this wilderness, right? And, and it's, it's of our own choosing, right? This is what we choose 
without God intervening in our lives, we choose this darkness. And he says he's given opportunity after opportunity. If you've read through the Old Testament, you know it. It's story after story of God giving them opportunity to repent, to trust in him. And yet, they don't do it. Right? Israel doesn't do it. And, and we're like Israel. We, we don't do it. We're, we're dead in our sin when we're left on our own. And we're powerless to make it right. Like we, we cannot find God on our own. We need him to reveal himself to us. Our human effort does us nothing. Uh, verse 5 in chapter 9 of Isaiah. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. We think that a warrior, that, that going to battle, that that makes sense. Maybe that will save us. And no, it's not going to do. Our effort does nothing. Even though God in the past had used battles and wars to advance God's people, he was going to fight in a different way through the Christ. He was going to fight a different war. But we're convinced that our human effort works. We, we think that, that things like armies or, or governments that that can get us what we need, that, that that can stabilize our world and our life. Or, or, or we, we just think that we can just run after what will make us happy, and that's what we need. And it, Scripture makes it clear, our efforts, they don't fix our problem, being stuck in darkness, of being dead in sin. The gospel, you'll find, is uh, really counterintuitive. We see that life isn't right, and and. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, I, I'm convinced that you, you can sense that life is not right, right? Not only for you, but, but for this whole world, that, that, that we live in this brokenness. And what we naturally want to do is fix the problem because we think that there's no one who would do this for us and no one that could do this for us. And we falsely believe that we can make it better, that, that even if we can't totally fix our problem, we can make it better. Isaiah chapter 7 uh, tells the story of King Ahaz. Uh, Ahaz was a wicked king. Scripture makes that really clear. Um, he was a king of Judah, and, and there were a couple of kings in the north that were teaming up, and they were going to come at Ahaz. They were going to take over Ahaz and, uh, and his kingdom. And Ahaz was trying to figure out, well, what do I do? How do I deal with this? I can't take on these two kings. There's no way. And somehow he gets the idea that he's going to team up with Assyria. right? And Assyria was mighty, mighty powerful. But God had warned his, his people. He'd warned his kings, hey, do not make yourself allies with other nations. These other nations will drag you away from me. They'll take you from, from, from a heart that follows me to a heart that doesn't want anything to do with me, a heart of rebellion. And Ahaz, he was already a wicked king, but, but he'd, heard, he'd heard that, man, maybe this would work. And so he was going to go this route, and, and God says to him, he sends him a warning. He says, ask me for a sign. I, I, don't, I don't care what, just ask me for a sign, and I'll show you. And Ahaz refuses. He refuses to listen to the Lord. He's depending on his human wisdom. Um, I'm sure he's thinking, well, the kingdom is on the line. 
right? The, the nation of Israel is in danger here. I have to do something. The, the line of David that God has promised, like how in the world can I take care of this? So he, he resorts to what he knows, military strategy, political allies, but it wouldn't work. Right? Assyria would actually be the ones that, that drag Israel into exile. We need to be saved, but we cannot do it on our own. But fortunately, God promised that he would send a savior. The sign in chapter seven, God tells him anyway, even though he didn't ask for it. He says uh, in verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this sign is a child. God's saying to Ahaz, don't put your hope, don't put your trust in yourself. You need to trust in me, right? You can't keep the line of David going. I'm the one who promised it. I'm the only one that can do it. So 9.6, we read for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the first thing to note in verse six here is that Jesus is a gift to us. All right, for us, to us, a child is given, to us, a son is given. The child is a gift to us from God. The child is coming to work on our behalf. He has come to accomplish what we cannot. Remember, I said the gospel, it's counterintuitive. It's, it's upside down that a child would be what we need. And what this Savior will do, we have confidence in what this Savior will do because of who he is. So let's jump right down to the names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The, the word for wonderful in Hebrew, it, it means a miracle. Right, the, the, uh, someone said you could translate wonderful counselors, wonder at his counsel. Right? The, the brilliance, the wisdom, the supernatural wisdom of his counsel. God is the one that knows what we need. God is the one that knows what we need to be saved. Colossians 2, 3, maybe you remember this. In whom, this is speaking of Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Isaiah 53, 11, by his knowledge, Shall the righteous one, my servant, make, uh, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquity. So this is in uh, Isaiah 9 here, and we contrast that with Ahaz in Isaiah 7. And we're like Ahaz. Right? We think we know what we need. We think we know what's best. Even if we know what God has done, our default is to trust in ourselves. Isaiah says, he's the wonderful counselor. Be amazed at the wisdom of this counselor. He calls him mighty God, right? Not, he doesn't say he's similar to God. He doesn't say that he, he, uh, he has a lot of characteristics that are like God. He doesn't say he's a rival God. This is the mighty God, this child that, that God will send. You might remember in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. We remember from Colossians 1, 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So this child 
the Christ, the Messiah, would be God himself in the flesh sent to save us. He also calls him everlasting father. And I don't know if, if you scratch your head at that, thinking how can Jesus be the everlasting father? You wonder, like, did, did, I, uh, did Isaiah have, have a bad understanding of the Trinity? Um, Sam Storms calls it a descriptive analogy pointing to Christ's character. He is fatherly, father-like in his treatment of us. Isaiah, uh, throughout his book, um, highlights the, the eternity of God, right? The, the author of all time, or you can think father of all time. Jesus is pretty clear that he's the one, the only one that can reveal the father to us. Right? He says things like, I'm in the father and the father is in me. Or in John 14, he's talking to Philip. He says, how, uh, how have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And lastly, Isaiah says he'll be named Prince of Peace. But that this child, he'll bring peace he will accomplish peace. He himself will be our peace. Micah 5, 4 and 5. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty in the name of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. Or maybe you remember Luke when the angels are talking to the shepherds and they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then Jesus in John 14, 27, he says this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Jesus' peace is not like what we think of as peace. The, the peace that the world offers is a knockoff peace of the true peace that God gives. Right? It, it's an attempt at, at the real peace that God gives us peace with God, our creator, peace by being for, forgiven of all of our sin. This is why it says things like the government will be upon his shoulders. This child, he'll rule as a king and he'll bear the, the weight of the world. Even the, the best government in the world at any point in history is broken. But Jesus will bring about government. He, he will govern well. He will rule as the king and he will bring us this peace. Colossians 1.20 says, and uh, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood of the cross or by the blood of his cross. He'll establish this peace forever for his people. And, and verse three of chapter nine in Isaiah talks about the joy. He says, you've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice uh, before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Obviously, I'm not a farmer. I know nothing about farming. Um, I apologize for how lame this illustration would be already, but I, um, I've talked about my blueberry bushes. I thought I'd talk about something else today. I have a lime tree and I love my lime tree. Uh, I got it, I think, for maybe it's Father's Day a year or two ago. And last year, it had one little soul lime. And 
I looked at that thing way too often. Um, I was excited. It takes a long time for a lime to grow. Um, so I'm excited over this thing. And, and then one day, Maddie, my daughter, she walks up to that little lime that was nowhere near being ready to be harvested. And she had no idea what she was doing. She just plucked that thing right off. I cannot tell you how revealing it was. Like, my heart was so invested in that stupid little lime. And I was so sad. And I didn't yell at my daughter. I didn't make her feel guilty. I did explain that daddy was a little sad. And to never pluck a lime again without asking. But this year, this year, one year later, I have probably 40 limes on my little lime tree. Right? It's awesome. Like, I'm more excited than I should be. Um, and, and I've been waiting a long, long time. Right now, while there's limes on my lime tree, there's also flowers budding on my lime tree. Like that's how long it takes for the fruit to come about, right? So it's a long process and I've watered it. I've fertilized it. I got to pull it in in the winter so the, the, the freeze doesn't kill my tree. But man, I am so excited to pluck off all 40 of these little limes because I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. I think his illustration here, the joy at the harvest. I don't know what a real harvest is like. I just know what harvesting a lime tree is like. Um, I do know that you do everything that you can, but all you can do is wait and trust, right? Israel had been waiting and waiting and waiting and they heard that God was going to somehow put this king in the, in the line of David, that forever there would be a king. They knew, clear back from Genesis 3, that there was a savior that was going to come and rescue. They'd, they'd read things like what we've read in Isaiah today, that there was going to be a savior, that this child would be born, and they waited and they waited, and they waited, and there would be so much joy. And we'll get into that in the next few weeks here, the joy of Jesus finally coming. I don't know if you noticed this, but there's, there's a, a, a sureness here. Like our hope, we, we talk about this a lot, our hope is absolutely sure. And you can see it even in, even in just the way verses two and three are worded. It's past tense. Right? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are uh, glad when they divide the spoil. The prophets do this. Right? They know that what God has said he is going to do, and they speak with it as if it has already been accomplished because it is sure. And this is why it's sure. Verse seven, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will do this. That's why it's going to happen. This is what God wants. This is what God has determined. And there's nothing that will stop him. Nothing at all. And so he decides to send his son into the world. I mean, he decided it long before he wrote this, but he decided 
to send his son into the world to save the kingdom of God. Salvation is dependent on God. It will happen because God determined to do it. He said he would do it. It's not dependent on Israel. It's not dependent on you or me. He will accomplish it because he is zealous for it. So we're getting ready now for Christmas. Advent is upon us. The word Advent, um, it, it, it comes from the Latin word that means coming. So what we're doing is, um, is part of what we're doing is, is we anticipate the coming of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus into the world being born. We look back at the incarnation. We marvel at God's plan that we would never come up with in order to save us. That's one thing that we do at Advent. Second thing we do at Advent is we look forward to Christ's return because he has said he's coming back. He will gather his people. We look forward to his return. The Advent celebration is both a commemoration of the first coming of Christ and anticipation of the second coming. So as Israel longed for the Messiah to come, so today, Christians, we long for our Savior to come again. So a few questions couple questions before we wrap up. Does the coming of Jesus into the world change everything for you? You know Christmas is about Jesus. Does it actually change everything for you? Have you put your life in the hands of Jesus, the only one who can save you? Like King Ahaz, you're hopeless on your own. Your only hope is God saving you, God intervening. How about Jesus coming? If you have trusted in Jesus, do you long for him to return? Right? Or, or, or are we distracted by all kinds of even good things in life? Are we more concerned with our own plans than, than Jesus' plan and what he is doing? Isaiah uh, does an incredible job of focusing on this child, right? It's not just in these couple chapters that, that we've been looking at. I mean, the whole Old Testament, the New Testament, it, it focuses on Jesus, this child. And it would be a massive mistake for us. It'd be tragic for us if we went through this next month walking up to Christmas and missed Jesus as our focus and missed the, the good news of Jesus coming into the world, who is our wonderful counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We have tons to be excited about, right? We have so much to be joyful for because of what, what our state is, what our state was without Christ coming to save us, right? We shouldn't need, we shouldn't need Christmas lights and presents and, and parties to get us excited about Christmas. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but if, but if that's what you need to get excited, if you need Christmas music to get you excited about Jesus, then you're missing Jesus. And I hope, I hope that, that this year as a body, that we experience much joy as we celebrate Christ's first coming, as, as we look toward him coming back for us. Because God entered into our hopeless reality. Jesus came into the world as, as a child to do what no other person could do. It's only Jesus who could save us and our salvation in him is absolutely sure because he is determined to be so. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, God, we thank you 
First, I thank you for your word, Lord, because your word helps me to understand why I needed you so badly, why I need you so badly, why you had to come, why you had to be born, because we were just dead without you. Jesus, I I pray um, for myself, for each and every one of us, that we would experience joy in you because we realize who you are, what you've done, that you love us, that, that if we turn to you in faith, that if we just believe in you, we'd be your child. You, you'd adopt us into your family. God, we thank you. We thank you that, um, that a long, long time ago, someone thought of Advent, that, that someone early in the church said, we need to, we need to celebrate. We need to, we need to look back to the incarnation. We look forward to the second coming and remember and celebrate. God, would you help us to not be distracted by, by all the things that come with Christmas, even the good things, Lord. I just pray that our hearts, our minds would be so fixated on you. that We'd be so grateful to you for your grace in loving us, Jesus. Lord, as we sing these songs, as we take communion, Lord, would this be worship unto you? It's in your name we pray. Amen.